very hard, very pain, like su such pain, physical pain, yes, but also the significant emotional pain that these these uh, soldiers are going through. Welcome back, everybody. It's another exciting day on No Script the Podcast, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Yes, thank you all for tuning back in. It's great to be back here with you. We're going to be talking about another script today and excited to get to spend some time with you. Yes, and we are excited to get to spend some time with the play, too. That's one of the great things about being able to do a podcast like this, is that whether or not people listen, and amazingly to us every week, people listen, but whether or not people listen, Jackson and I get to talk about a play, get to talk about our lives and relationship, get to a play, get to do this kind of digging into material that fills our souls so it's a it's a wonderful weekly thing to get to do we're privileged and it's a great privilege to come back to a playwright we've been able to this season do new playwrights to the podcast playwrights that we visited before on the podcast and today Today's episode is that latter group right we have been with Kiara Alegria Hoodies before it's true. Yeah, we are returning to Kiara Alegria Judes and her play, uh, Elliot, A Soldier's Fugue, today. Now, we've done a couple plays by her before. Uh, as, as we mentioned, we've done, uh, well, well, she wrote the book for In the Heights. So uh, we've had some conversation around that play and even around the movie for our patrons, um, if, if you all saw that. but the, That's a uh, great plug, Jackson. There yeah, is a video conversation around the movie of In the Heights that we've made available to our patrons on Patreon. We'll talk about Patreon as we always do in a minute, but let's not let that go by. There's a right. video conversation about In the Heights available for patrons on Patreon. <laughs> it's pretty cool. We had a lot of fun. So there's that option. We've also done Water by the Spoonful as well, um, and that was Hude's uh, other plays or, or another one of her plays that we have done. And uh, yeah, so it's exciting to get to return to this playwright. Yeah, and, and of course, Water by the Spoonful is related to Elliot a Soldier's Fugue, really more than related to it. It's part of this cycle of plays that follow this kind of loose idea, these events that are going on in our world, this character of Elliot. And there's a lot of cool things that happen with that cycle of plays. We'll talk about what some of those examples are when we come to our ever-popular context section. But Water by the Spoonful, if you've listened to that conversation, contains some of the same characters. It's very closely tied in subject matter and in, and in characters, as I, as I said. So if you want to check out that episode that play you could do that after you listen to this one because in a sort of oddity of the podcast we'll admit we're coming to the first play in this cycle <laughs> of three plays second water by the spoonful our previous conversation is about the play that follows this play <laughs> in the cycle so elliot a soldier's fugue water by the spoonful are the the first two plays in this cycle and then there is the uh play uh, a happiest song plays last Yes, yes. So it's kind of a prequel situation if you're paying attention to our timeline. But uh, but yes, so uh, this is the first play in that series and we're excited to get to jump into it. However, before we do, we do want to take just a second and thank all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash noscript 
podcast. Thank you all so much for being a part of the community over there on Patreon. Um, uh, as everyone who has been listening to this podcast knows, uh, we love getting to do this show. We love getting to talk to each other about scripts. We get, love getting to talk to all of you out there about scripts. Um, and the patrons over at patreon.com make sure that continues to happen. There's a number of different tiers of, of patronship over there at the $1 tier. Uh, that, that, that amount helps out enormously. That's $12 over the course of, you know, a whole year. And, uh, and, uh, that, that amount helps us out a lot. There's also the $5 tier, which, uh, has some fun extra benefits, namely that, uh, you get to be announced as a producer on one of the shows. And, uh, today is one of those days we get to announce, uh, a new patron, uh, who is a producer at the $5 level. Thank you to Michelle Miller, who is a patron at that level. Now, Michelle Miller happens to also be my mother and Woo! I am very, <laughs> very glad to have her, uh, on the, uh, as a patron for this podcast and, and excited that she listens to it. So thank you, mom, um, for, <laughs> for uh, uh, supporting the podcast. If you are looking for a way to help out No Script Podcast, patreon.com is a great way to do it. You can head on over to patreon.com slash no script podcast and we will see you over there. And now back to the script. Back to the script. All right. Of course, Kiara Allegri-Hudis is a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. That was for Water by the Spoonful, the play that we discussed a while back. She's uh, in, in, you know, Tony Awards. She's got her MFA in playwriting at Brown, got a music undergrad at Yale, well-lauded, um, incredibly relevant playwright to the culture that exists right now. Not only relevant in terms of her kind of presence in the conversation, of course, because of something like In the Heights and the cultural conversations happening around that, but also relevant in what she brings to the conversation and the style. Elliot a Soldier's Fugue is a great example of how something like her music background influences her playwriting and how that changes the playwriting culture, too. I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about that, but it's a little contextually, right? It's context-related, context-adjacent, because she got her uh, music degree at Yale for undergrad, as I said. The play was developed uh, in 2005. An early stage version appeared at a, a theater in Portland, and then the world premiere, of course, Page 73 Productions Off-Broadway Theater in um, New York in 2006. Page 73 is kind of a cool company if you've never heard of it. They help kind of emerging playwrights get their stuff developed, but then also premiered Off-Broadway for those emerging playwrights who really are ready to take that step onto that kind of a stage. So a really cool company there if you've never heard of them. The play went on to have, of course, this Chicago life. Steppenwolf did the famous production along with Rivendell Theater Ensemble and Teatro Vista. Um, and then you probably have a, had a chance to see this play in the past 15 or 20 years because it's had such a lively regional theater life. And, you know, your local town, however big it is, may not have done it, but a regional house in a decent-sized city near you almost certainly has in the past 15 to 20 years. You know, uh, 2015 Park Square Theater, that's in Minnesota, St. Paul, they did a production, places like the Curious Theater Company in Denver, did a 2016 production. And then, because, as we've mentioned, this is 
part of a cycle of plays. You call them a trilogy of plays, however you like to refer to groups of plays that are related to each other. There are events that occur that stage all three. In 2018 in Los Angeles, all three plays in the trilogy, that's Elliot, A Soldier's Fugue, Water by the Spoonful, and The Happiest Song Plays Last. This trilogy of plays about Elliot, about war, about reentry, about all those things. This trilogy of plays was presented, all three of them, in Los Angeles in the same year so that you could experience the cycle of plays. And in this specific case, Center Theater Group kind of organized different theater ensembles and production houses each doing their own um, of the three scripts so that no theater company had to take on trying to present them in reps. So in this case, the Kirk Douglas Theater in Los Angeles did the play that we're talking about today. Because while these three plays are a trilogy, a cycle, are related, they're not they're not especially tied together in the in what you would need to produce it. They're very different stylistically. They're very different in what you might eventually develop into a design concept, in their central metaphors, in um, their story. They revolve around Elliot. They all revolve around, you know, Elliot's life during and after the war in Iraq, in this case. Uh, so they're, they're very much a trilogy of plays about Elliot, but it would be very hard to, for example, present them in rep at one house at the same time yeah yeah that's that's fascinating that that theater out west did it uh kind of through the community i think that's an awesome way to like have partnership through it and still like give the community a chance to see all three but yeah it'd be it would be hard to tie them together both both by virtue of them being a little bit asynchronous and and, and no like full through line plot between them, but also just the heavy subject matter, like three of these plays in a season. That'd be a heavy season. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all their own plays, right? This is actually my favorite of the trilogy is, is the soldier's fugue because of how unique and how stylistic and how interestingly it's structured because of what we'll talk about. I'm sure. But, um, it's its own story and water by a spoonful is its own story. And the plays, are their own plays and they are often presented on their own two feet and should be. It's just that they also happen to be in this kind of loose group. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to jump into the conversation here real quick. I'm going to give you a short synopsis as is our practice, just so we're all working on a similar page. If you haven't read the script yet, um, Elliot, a soldier's fugue. I feel like I need to like define fugue real quick. Cause I needed to for read myself. that definition. <laughs> Yep. So uh, a fugue in the musical sense is a contrapuntal composition in which a short melody or phrase is introduced by one part and successively taken up by others and developed by interweaving the parts. That's a pretty good definition, uh, working definition for uh, for what this play does. It's it's a, a, a different parts all weaving together into one central story. The play is focused on one family. Um, the families are we, we don't have a family name. Oh, no, we do. The Ortiz, I believe, is the family name, um, uh, though. The characters names are simply uh, Ginny, Pop, Grandpop and Elliot. I'll read those in a little bit better order. We got Grandpop, Ginny, Pop, and Elliot. And uh, so uh, Grandpop and Pop and Elliot are all grandfather, father, and son in that chain. Ginny is married to Pop. Now, the story is across time. Um, each of the stories within this um, are weaving together three different moments when... Uh, 
uh, Elliot, Pop, and Grandpop were in the service, in, in the army. Uh, they, or not just the army, in, in military service, though. Um, and, and in their own service, in their own time, as right. young men, each of them. Yeah, Grandpop is talking about, or is referring, when he is referring to his service, uh, in his to his time when he served in Korea in the infantry regiment of Puerto Rico. Um, Pop, who is Elliot's father, served in Vietnam, and he was in the 3rd Cavalry Division. Elliot is in the 1st Marine Division uh, and is serving in Iraq. Um, and in and the the play or the the current events of the play take place in 2002-2003 and what we what we have is a is a weaving through of these three stories. There are four or I'm sorry, there are 14 scenes in this play and each of the scenes is titled either prelude or fugue. The fugue scenes are moments when the stories overlap and kind of tell similar things in the same moments. The first fugue is is one where it's kind of talking about the initial rituals at the start of the day for each of the, the three men who uh, were in service. Uh, Ginny is a narrator in all of these scenes and weaves her way as a character through a pop story uh, and how they met. For instance, in the second fugue scene, which is the sixth scene, um, or I'm sorry, she, she comes in later. The second fugue scene is the one where... Uh, we, we get a little bit of the narrative of the first time that either Pop or Elliot had to kill someone. The, uh, the following fugue scene is one of uh, kind of uh, an injury that happened to both of them and the kind of weaving together of those stories. We find out more about how Ginny and Pop met. And then the final scene uh, has, has a leaving of Elliot for his second term um, and, um, and the kind of similarities between his leaving and his father and grandfather's leaving. The main through line of the plot, though, is is riding on Elliot. We uh, travel with Elliot through his first deployment over into Iraq. Um, we we uh, walk with him as he uh, kind of has his first experiences there, the first time he kills someone there, as he is injured there, his recovery, and his coming home to Philadelphia. And his uh, as a result of his injury, he's sent home, um, and he's uh, interviewed by a number of different radio hosts and uh, called or, or asked to kind of give an account of his time in Iraq. And we also follow his decision following his injury to return for a second term to Iraq. Um, the play is so much more than just what a synopsis can say, though. So I think I'm going to stop there because those are the big, broad, arching things that happen. Um, but there's so many, like, beautiful little finitudes inside of it that I'm excited to get to start talking about. Yeah, it's it's structured so fascinatingly in this, um, as you've said, this fugue and prelude sort of point-counterpoint conversation. Prelude, of course, being an introduction to another piece. And so she's kind of given you, in each of the scene titles, a sense of this is an introduction to a piece, uh, the prelude, which uh, the vast majority of the scenes are prelude, and then the fugue scenes, which are the weaving of the stories of the men in either Korea, Vietnam, or Iraq. Now, Ginny also was in the service. She was an army nurse in Vietnam. Interestingly, her weaving is not included in the fugue scenes. I'd be interested to talk with Carrie about that and figure out, you know, what why we don't learn more about her story. Perhaps it's just the similarities of the stories of the men, which kind of bind them together in kind of a, a cohesion that makes the fugue, right? The the, the um 
the definition that Jackson read of fugue really accurately summarizes what you get in these fugue singers because it's a, a the definition says a short melody or phrase introduced by one part successively taken up by others and de- and developed as an interweaving piece then and i mean those that's what you get right you get Eliot's story from Iraq in in different forms, right? It's the story of waking up and getting ready for the day. It's the story of the first kill. It's the story of being injured. And then that story is taken up by Pop and Grandpop as they add their own experiences in Vietnam and Korea to that. But it's always going backwards in time. And this is where this whole ramble has led, which is that as the successive melodies, quote unquote, the stories are added onto Eliot's, they're added backwards, back into the past. Pop in Vietnam, then Grandpop in Korea. That's the order of how this fugue is developed. You go farther back in time. Right, which is like what Eliot is kind of driving for in the in the um, actual the kind of ongoing plot of the play. He is trying as he is home for like a week, basically, I think, to recover from his injury. He's trying to get these stories out of his dad, out of his grandpa. And and, it, and it's just he's having a rough time of it uh, because uh, Pop isn't really interested in, in recounting his stories. And towards the end of the play, we f- he finally gets a box um, or not a box, an envelope from his mom. And that is full of stories. So so um, or at least letters that he can kind of piece together stories. But in a very similar way until the, it's all the way at the end of the play where he finally gets to work his story uh, through his uh, his father and grandfather back for himself and find resonance for what he's experiencing in, in their stories as well. Now, what I didn't say in the context, because I, I wanted Jackson to introduce the synopsis and what kind of loose plot there is before I did it, was that this, what I would imagine is the whole trilogy, began with interviews that uh, she conducted with uh, George Burgos and Elliot Ruiz. Those names are reflected in the play. I think that's a nice way to honor those gentlemen for their contributions. Now, this is not like a verbatim theater piece. This is not the Laramie Project, right? This, This is a very fictionalized, heavily adapted, woven uh, made poetry, made, you know, so it's it's not like it's based on their lives. I think it is more based on the sort of experiences that they had and then what those could lend to an artistic story about the experience of war, in this case, war in Iraq, which is the story that extends over the three plays. And you kind of get that from the way that the play, uh, the stage directions and the the uh feeling of the staging even in the writing you get the feeling of this kind of um almost impressionistic sense you have a lot of narrators moving in and out of the scenes you have multiple voices speaking all the time um there's some pretty direct calls for props or no props uh like or and specificity in props like barbed wire for instance is is a prop that is used and there's some direction about like obviously don't like have barbed don't wire wrap on the... your actor up with barbed wire please. <laughs> that's basically what she says in the notes which hey you know what it's a good note there's some it's people out note. there that would wrap an actor in barbed wire. You probably shouldn't <laughs> right. do that. 
don't do that. Uh, <laughs> but you, but, meant, but yeah, yeah, I think the, you the, mentioned something that is really important to the fugue prelude sort of pairing that makes up the structure of this play, which is the alternating, not just between these sort of, uh, I like your word, impressionistic kind of combinations, musical combinations of the stories, and then what what we would consider more standard scenes, but also the alternation between narration and full uh, enactments, not maybe a good word, but dramatization or or fully sort of fourth wall uh, living in scenes. Now, there are some letters in the prelude scenes, but those are not, uh, they're not the same as the narration to the audience describing action that is occurring also in the scene in front of you, right? Narration that is in the fugue scenes. And the narration in the fugue scenes is is very loose, very ephemeral. Characters narrate themselves, then somebody else will narrate them. Sometimes they'll do the action, sometimes they won't do the action. Sometimes the narration describes an inner life, sometimes it describes an outer life. And, you know, if you study writing more and more, you start to learn some of the rules of how you, or how you can and create your own rules for your narration. And I sort of like the idea that in this fugue, musical, poetic world, the rules for the narration are sort of tossed. It is whatever it is in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of counterpointed by the the prelude scenes, um, which which like some of them have these like really beautiful monologues that are are pretty chal like they're challenging monologues yes. to pull off because because of their beauty. There's so much wrapped into these monologues, and you're just like living with one character, and you almost need that, right? You need that so that you're able to kind of reset for the next fugue um, or or uh, recover from the last fugue. Um, or give so, you so context you... for the fugue too, right? I mean, it, yeah. I think probably that's why she titled them Prelude. Um, not that they're not important or they're only introductions, but they do serve the kind of crucial function of lending us context for what we see in the fugue scenes, which I think we have to believe are kind of the core scenes of the play, right? Given the title, given the emphasis on them beginning and several important crucial moments in these characters' lives, killing somebody for the first time, right? The injury happen mm -hmm. in fugue scenes. Yeah, and each of those things have such poignancy as a result of the stylizedness of the scene. The 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 scene where uh, both Pop and Elliot are are recounting the first time that they had to kill someone in the in, in the line of duty is set up by having these two wallets on stage. Right? That that's a that's a very odd thing to see, right? Suddenly there's two wallets and and we're moving towards them and eventually through the action of the scene we realize that uh, Pop, for instance, says that uh, you, he always had to take away the identification and whatever intel the person was carrying. And so he picks up the wallet and starts to go through it. Elliot does the same in his scene, which is just a, a really beautiful way to handle a really heavy thing. Um, this this kind of wonder from the audience as they're as they're sitting looking at two wallets on stage and slowly realizing what it means. Yeah, she uses those objects, those props, although they're really more than props because they're also part of the set. Let's talk about that in a minute. But she uses them so um, 
so powerfully, so poignantly, so intentionally. They are kind of the core things which define the world. And I, they relate so well to memory, right? The way that memory latches onto objects and visual cues. The wallet on the ground being the thing that you might remember. The duffel bag. And those objects echo across time, right? There's a strange connection between especially Pop and Elliot's story. A, a L.A. Times reviewer Charles McNulty, I'm just going to read a quote from him. He describes the, the play this way. The traumatic tales echo one another. Assimilation to hostile conditions, initiation into killing, grievous bodily harm that inscribes the war permanently on minds and limbs constitute an uncanny refrain. These similarities, I'm now me, not Charles McNulty, are they, they tie the stories together and she uses the objects to help you crystallize the similarities, the duffel bag that each of the men pick up as they head off to war, the towel that each of the men use to start their day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even to some extent, the letters that Pop and Grandpop are are kind of trading back and forth. Um, if I'm if my memory serves me correctly, I don't think there's as much letters in Elliot's story, but uh, Pop and Grandpop have this um really interesting back and forth with the letters that Pop have written has written or had written. There we go. There's the proper use of that word. Um, so so you you have this kind of resonance between them. They're both speaking it. They're both living it. And even as Grandpop is reading it, you're hearing resonances of his story from when he was in Korea. So yeah, these these kind of through-line props, these through-line physical things on, on, a, on what is essentially, and we maybe be a good time to get to this, but what is essentially a pretty blank stage um, ground you in in these weavings in and out of the narratives. Right, so that's where I said I was talking about the props as also set pieces because these metaphorical, um, highly impactful, highly weighted objects that tie the stories together, especially in the fugue scenes, are what I would imagine is the only visible thing for that particular fugue in what she calls... Um, the empty space. She says the set has two playing areas. This is, of course, in the notes at the beginning of the script. The empty space is minimal, transforms into many locations. And she says a lot more about it. But for our purposes, the emptiness and the minimalness sort of define whatever part of the playing space that is for you. And, of course, when you come to the fugue scenes, the empty spaces, she reaffirms in stage directions, very, very empty. But it's very, very empty, but for the people, right? These three men and Ginny that tell the fugue narration scenes and these heavily weighted objects. So they're really the only set, as well as being props, in the empty space. Now, there's another space, but in the empty space, that seems to be true for that, that sort of body in space location. Right, which allows it to be so many places. It allows it to be three countries, four countries. Um, it allows it to be hospital bays. It allows it to be guard posts. It allows it to be the jungle. Um, it's, 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 yeah, it's a very versatile space. And it is so because there is another space <laughs> on stage, uh, very, very similar to the counterpoint of the fugue and the prelude. Um, another space called the garden, um, which, uh, at least in the, the setting notes, is, is described as by contrast is teeming with life. It is a verdant sanctuary, green speckled with magenta and gold. Both spaces are holy in their own way. 
So that's, I mean, that's a huge difference. You know, you have this space in the middle that is is bare, that is 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 form formless and thus can be formed into whatever, surrounded maybe, or uh, certainly in contrast with this this really beautiful, glorious space. And it, I mean, of course, there's this sort of maybe. I don't want to use surface level because it's it's very deep and richly imagined. But there's the face value, let's go with that, metaphor of the two spaces, which is the the war, right? This empty space that is the war, and then this life-teeming garden space that is home. And those two spaces are crystallized in the story as we learn that the garden is Ginny's garden and and she's kept it up. She's let it overgrow at different points in her life, including the present moment or recent past of this particular the larger story, which is when Elliot goes off to war. And so that garden is a specific place that represents a more general idea of home and it becomes a place of healing when Elliot returns turns and needs his leg healed, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, there's also the, the kind of interesting nature of the music feeding into that as well with the prop work around the flute. Um, Cause the flute travels, you'd think it'd be one of those things that travels between all three. <laughs> um, but, but the way that it ends up going, you, the, the first scene is uh, Elliot listening to music on his headphones. And so as slowly through the play, we, we are introduced to this flute that Grandpop had that he played really relaxing music for his entire regiment in, in the, in the war in Korea. And then he gives it to his son to pop to play in Vietnam. And, and we, we hear a line about, I'll give it to my son, son someday. And in that line, we have this like, but he's he doesn't have it with him. We've seen it. We've been with him for like <laughs> six of these scenes already. And and eventually it's slowly unraveled that that the, the flute is thrown away because of of a particularly traumatic incident for Pop that he that he just has to do something. And so he throws the, the flute away. So so you have all of these kind of through lines carrying you, you through the two spaces and each of these four characters. And now let's stay on the flute for a little bit because one of the tensions in the play is a tension between Elliot and Pop about the, the phrase is used like this code of silence. Um, Pop refuses to talk about his stories from being in the war. And, of course, there's lots of reasons why a person would do that and lots of great reasons. But you start to piece together a vision of who Pop is and how he relates to Elliot choosing to join the Marines. And some of that picture is this moment of throwing the flute away. While it's not a dramatized moment, right? it doesn't happen on stage, it's described in in a letter where he describes having done it. It's a counterpoint. We are going to use that over and over again because it's such a musically structured play to the earlier letter that Jackson mentioned where he says, I'm going to hand this flute down to my son. He doesn't do that. He throws the flute away. Now, you, you take that clue. You take this clue that Pop never talks about his stories. You take this clue that Elliot knows Pop isn't even going to go to the airport with him. Anytime he mentions being in the service, he basically says, well, you got yourself into this. Elliot didn't tell his parents he was going to join the service. And you maybe get a picture of a man who did not want his son to join the military. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, it's, and it's, that's really tied into the loss that he experienced. One of the 
one of the virtues of this play is that it's there's just so much packed into these fast narration lines back and forth. So, so much gets covered and gets to kind of rest with the different voices. But I, I know I had to like reread this particular one because it, it goes by so fast, but he loses two of his best friends the day that he throws the flute away. He loses, or or the only line that he, that we get about and that you, is yeah, they got, re- this specific section you're talking about had to really, yeah, yeah. really get it over because there's so much in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and this, and this line that it's so short, but you he just says they got Hess and Joe Bob. Um and that's that's all that we really get. But but that is an important little line about about what I think why he is less likely to encourage his son, uh at least to give the flute to his son and kind of carry on in this grand tradition, this family tradition. Didn't end up stopping Elliot any. He still wound up being a Marine. Um, but and uh, isn't but it yeah. interesting that he started? He ended up being a Marine. There's an interview. Uh, we should talk about the interviews too. I suppose there's so much to talk about. This play's got so it's much the, in it. It's true. Um, <laughs> in one of the scenes that is in the interview, Elliot does several interviews in the I don't know the present tense of the play, whatever. Mm, um, yep. and, and in one of them, he talks about why he chose to join the service. And what Elliot says is that he decided to become a Marine. Because his father was a Marine. He did it for his father is what he says. Now, that is taken in hand with that just moments before he said that his father was not particularly pleased that he joined the Marines. Where He said something about, you know, the Marines will really mess you up, man. And so Elliot has this reaching desire for connection with his father because of... Uh, just sort of natural desire for connection with your parents, but he has something that goes beyond that too, right? The similarity of experience. Someone who's experienced what I have really in bizarre ways, right? Charles McNulty said, uncanny refrain. In bizarre ways, their stories are tied together. And Eliot wants the affirmation, the connection of that relationship with his father, and that is not something Pop is interested in, perhaps because this is not what he wanted for Elliot after having gone through it himself. Yeah, yeah, you have the kind of heartbreaking scene where he tries over like three different days to get, or not not even three, like five different days, um, trying to get his dad to tell the story or some stories and is he eventually tries to like get him drunk enough to tell the stories and that backfires too. He, he breaks some stuff and goes and kind of goes away to his room. Um, so yeah, you, you have this like really resilient, um, uh, a wall from, from pop against, against Elliot, not necessarily against him as a person, but against his chosen, uh, vocation against, against his, his involvement in the military, which is, is, um, you said these kind of bizarre resonances echo between uh, the, the the different characters. And I think that the, the, the kind of repeating nature of these stories are ones that is one that Pop has tried to, um, if, if, if not derail by not encouraging his son, certainly take himself out of um, after the action of his service. And, and the... Because there's a reason that Grandpop is in the story too, right? This middle generation character, Pop, George, knows, because he himself has experienced it, what it is like to be the son of a serviceman going into service himself. He understands the power of that, the flute being handed down the letters that he sends his father about experiences in war that he says, don't tell mom about this. 
right? I mean, he mm-hmm. understands that connection, but for whatever, I mean, if you're the actor and the director, I suppose you got to do some work on this, but for whatever reason, does not want that to be handed down, to be passed on through to the next generation, Elliot. But Elliot does it anyway. Yeah. I, w- I wonder if it's it has something to do with the nature of the stories he has to share. Um, because of uh, uh, the, so Grandpop's stories, at least the ones that we get in the play, uh, there, there's likely more to his stories. And in fact, but, they say um, that, right? That Grandpop only tells this sort of series of few sort of funny, I got drunk kinds of stories. Uh, but right, he knows right. there's more, but Grandpop doesn't tell him. But his stories are these, like, really beautiful ones. Like, after the artillery fire in the night, I played my flute and I played Bach and everyone said, play it again, play it again. Um, these really, like, um, uh, a kind of aggrandized versions of, of stories from, from his time in war. And, and you have, through the letters uh, that Pop sends, the, the kind of realities that he experienced. Um, uh, he didn't have those as many, or at least the moments of his camaraderie or his, his feelings of belonging in the group or his feelings of worth to his, his group by virtue of playing his flute or something don't happen. The notes stick on the flute when he tries to play it because the swamp is too uh, humid. Um, you, you have him losing his friends, the, the, the accounts of his having to kill someone for the first time. You have all of these really hard stories that he is carrying back. So no wonder he doesn't want his son to go through it. No wonder. He, you're absolutely right. He has the, he remembers what it's like from his to go to war with the stories that his dad told him. And so he pictures the stories that he would tell his son and realizes I can't I that's the, I can't send him to war with these stories. And so he he takes himself out from from that that ongoing narrative. And of course, we're just we're sort of imagining into the inner life of that character. And it's amazing, really, in a very short play. I think I've read that it runs about 70 minutes. How much inner life, how much discovery, how much uh, how much is packed into it that is there for grasping. I mean, the play is so rich, even as it has and maybe even because it has a very loose nebulous almost non-existent plot in like <laughs> the sense of here's this action leads to this action leads this choice leads to this choice leads to this choice because this is the weaving of lives over years uh, over countries over three lives over you know 70 80 100 years whatever um and it moves back and forth in time so it's hard to track things like that what of it there is that's like present moment action is that Elliot has returned from Iraq uh, because of a horrific leg injury to receive some treatment. His first tour of duty is over now due to the injury. He has been healed uh, and he, you know, he's not been healed. He's been fixed up, let's say, because as we know from water by the spoonful, the leg injury lasts forever. But, uh, he he's been fixed up enough that they're willing to send him back if he wants to go. And so if he wants to go is kind of the present moment plot. What's he going to do? Is he going to get on the plane or not get on the plane? Is he going back for a second tour or not going back for a second tour? That's kind of the the sort of loose story that we touch on. And really touch on is all that you could really say over this, you know, many 50, 70, 100 years, five countries, whatever it is, right? 
Yeah, 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 and and that is, you know, that 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 is certainly um, on the mind of the of the watcher of the play, but it's not even really on the mind until about halfway through. Um, you kind of realize that that is the plot um, a, a good way through. You even and yeah, you're right. You jump over time a lot. Like you, a, a pretty early scene is an interview with him on the radio uh, while he's home, but then we jump to the scene where he actually got injured. Um, not not too many scenes after that. So yeah, it's 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 a uh, I think that kind of allows us to decouple ourselves from traditional play structure and engage this episodic format, this kind of almost almost mythic format, this musical um, format. Yeah, very very musical format that 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 can tell a a a, a weaving big story <laughs> and kind of grab these little star points um, and and bring them together into uh, one one. Mm, feeling's the wrong word. We're gonna use gonna use it anyway. One feeling or one uh, point in the end. Yeah, one sort of. It's not a. It's not harmonious, really, mm. but it is interwoven. It, it's almost yeah. um, dissonant, in, but it still achieves some sort of connection with you. Now, I thought we, we, we've waxed a while about the three guys in the play, but there's really four <laughs> characters, right? Because Ginny, and she carries a lot of it. While she doesn't appear as herself in the fugue scenes, she is, well, everybody, as we've discussed, everybody narrates in the fugue scenes. Uh, but G then Ginny appears throughout the prelude scenes, both as um, a kind of, character with her own story. We've talked a little bit about her describing her garden and then as a, an opposite, a scene partner kind of character for a couple of the other scenes. Um, she has a moment where she describes meeting George Pop in the, in the uh, Army Hospital in Vietnam and then later in the play we go back and dramatize that meeting, um, which is really lovely. Now, if you've read Water by the Spoonful, I hate to break it to you, this is the same gene who's like dying and death are kind of one of the central main painful things about Water by the Spoonful. It's also the same Ginny that in Water by the Spoonful we learn is not Elliot's biological mother. So there's a lot that if you've read that play and you sort of bring into this play and try to put in context of what we experience here. Right, right, yeah, definitely, and 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 she is a character again. She she is one of those guy lines that draws these characters together, right? Like she is, uh, she has uh, the the interactions, of course, with Pop, but then also she is the one who brings the envelope to Elliot at the end. Um, and the the envelope is, is so important, right? I just want to know because it is the thing that ties the three generations together. Right, because Pop it's essentially this play. Right, Pop <laughs> wrote the letters to Grandpop, so Grandpop is referenced and talked to, and then Elliot is reading the letters that his father wrote to his grandfather. So I think I do think it's really important that you note that Ginny is the one who transmits that thing that ties the generations together to Elliot. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 her own story is a really interesting one and, and compelling one that she shares of her service during the Vietnam War as well. She has uh I believe one of the the, the monologues is hers around like the kind of uh the the kind of uh, tasks that she has to do that like helping men 
essentially die uh, and keeping them comfortable as much as she can. Um, you have the interactions between her and Pop, which is like, there's a love story worked into this play too, which is uh, just these these kind of, uh, their, their kind of courtship, sort of, not really, coming on to each other um, as Pop is recovering from a wound. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and so you, you have her whole narrative too of, of her perspective on war and her... Um, uh, the the importance to her of being sure that some story is given to Elliot, especially in light of him probably returning. That's that's very close to that moment when he returns back to his second term that she gives him the envelope. Right, and I suppose, I mean, if you're looking for, like, what is the thing that drives the decision he makes to go back to war at the end of the play, the letters, I, I think have to be a, a pretty significant part of that decision. Receiving these letters, the connection that he finally gets with his father when he was Elliot's age. Yeah. Yeah, there are there you you can definitely come to that conclusion pretty safely because there are a number of scenes prior to him receiving the letter where it seems like he's beginning to walk his way back from like going going back on his second term. He's still on the fence. There's a couple of scenes where he's like, yeah, I'll probably go back. I don't want to end up, you know, uh, working in a restaurant or something like uh, that. He says but, but working there... in a subway, which is subway, yeah. sort of, uh, it's poignant because in Water by the Spoonful, he's working at a subway. That's after it's he comes true. back. For, the play takes place after he comes back from the second tour, which is the tour he's going off to leave this time. And all plays he's like, I don't want to just stay here and work in a subway. Well... Well, that's about it turned out anyway. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the, those all those um, those scenes are kind of uh, are, are hinting at the fact that perhaps he's not going to go, and yet the the uh, the letters given to him, the stories that he gets to carry with him, prompt him to go. Now, with with the context of the second play, you can you can make some decisions uh, about how that turned out for him. But in the context of this play, it does have that feeling of like I have stories, and now I can continue in this path. And it's so fascinating to think about what stories aren't told about Elliot's tour in Iraq, Pop's tour in Vietnam, Grandpa in Korea, and that's kind of one of the extant questions as the characters grapple with what they're not willing to say, the experiences they're not willing to share. And that question is so prevalent and heavy. It's a cloud because the stories we do get are pretty painful as a group. I mean, you've described the love story between Ginny and George, which is, of course, lovely, but there's, uh, I mean, there's some really painful, hard things. The the fugue scene where Pop and uh, Elliot both lived their first, the first person that they had to kill part of their tour is uh, really, really hard, and it's brilliantly, I mean, I, I can't tell you how much brilliant I think this is, brilliantly cast in this green light because of the, the night vision goggles Elliot would have had to wear. And, and then Elliot has this very long monologue uh, near the end of the play, one of the prelude monologues, that describes his experience of coming to Spain after being injured, and it, it's quite hard. Yeah, yeah, very hard, very pain, like su such pain, physical pain, yes, but also the significant emotional pain that these these uh, soldiers are going through. Um, the the he, they describe the the uh, the 
the moment where they end up having to kill someone for the first time really um it, that's a hard thing to do on stage <laughs> um it's an even harder thing to do on stage with you know a, a, a minimalist cast like how do you uh, evoke this moment how do you act out this moment even on stage and it's beautifully done through some very stylized things we mentioned the wallets earlier um uh, it, it's 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 dealt really well within the play but i agree that almost all the the vast majority of the stories they're bringing back are ones of either pain or trauma or or struggle. Uh, even and of course even they are, right? I mean, I, it was just so that we are all right. on the same. Like they're war right. stories. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And even the returning home, yes. Elliot returning home is greeted by his friends who have the like movie version of war in their heads, and they come up to him and say, "Hey, did you carry a gun? Did you carry a big gun?" Um, and he's like, "You shouldn't be thinking about that. That's not what you should be thinking about." Um, so, so you begin to feel the weight um, in Elliot. Certainly, you see the weight in Pop. Um, I, I think you do see the weight in Grandpop as well, as well as Ginny. They're all carrying the weight of the service that they have done. And Grandpop is such a fascinating character because he is less involved uh, than Pop and Elliot. It, it's really, in a lot of ways, it's a story about the two of them. But Grandpop is this third for the fugues and for these letter scenes. He's the one that Pop writes the letters to. We've said that. And so how he responds to the letters of Pop, he and Pop sort of trade back and forth reading them for the audience. And, of course, Pop, she's very specific, as she should be, about them being, like, lively and active, things happening in the present tense. So what is the present tense for Grandpop as he receives those letters as he hears the stories of his son in Vietnam that must cause him to recall his stories, the stories he never shares of his life in Korea and this story, how stories are given and passed and handed and what they mean sort of becomes one of those reflections amidst all the other reflections about pain and violence and community change. Which is landed home in that last scene, the final fugue scene of all of them coming out with their duffel bags and standing, um, getting ready for their first day. You feel that, or at least I did in reading it, <laughs> you feel the weight of all of those uh, shared stories, shared traumas, shared, um, yeah, shared, shared uh uh, feelings and uh, around around what they what they have done and what they are going to at least in Elliot's case what they're going to continue to do. And that's interesting that the play ends with that fugue of the three of them headed to war because as near as I can tell, Elliot is the only one in that group headed back to war. It seems yeah. to be, and it, you know, it's a short play. There's not a lot of text, so some things you have to sort of infer, pick up, try to pull. It seems to be that the fugue, again, that interweaving story, poetic music kind of thing, is Pop's uh, day of leaving for Vietnam for the first time, Grandpop's day of leaving for Korea for the first time, and Elliot's uh, headed back to Iraq. And so in a play that is about the odd echo of experience between these three men, the sort of repeating refrains of their lives, this is a dissonant chord. Elliot is going back. Yeah. Yeah. In some sense, it's almost, it, it, it makes a lot of sense that there's a play following because this dissonant chord almost like carries you out of the play as you listen to it. There's, there's, there's an incompleteness to the story. The other two stories found found a completeness in one in one term of duty um 
Elliot is doing something new, something different, and there's more to his story, as as now we know through through the other plays in the trilogy. There's more to his story left to unfold. And I think you're you you've described very well how the plot relates to that odd musical resonance that is sort of the experience of the play. Elliot at the end of the play does something new, right? That resonance in some ways is going to break now because he is making a change, taking a step that is, is deals with that that sort of ephemeral world of the play and the very real world of the play that is the plot. One other kind of uh, interesting linguistic facet of the fugue scenes that I I've, I tried to read each of them just as the fugue scenes a couple of times and try to pick out what I thought was being said, but I never came up with anything concrete. I'm interested in your general sense of the wash of it, Jackson, is the interchanging language of a man, a boy, and a young man. The fugue scenes are narrative. They are, we've described them over and over, right? They, they're, all the characters narrate. Sometimes they narrate themselves. Sometimes they narrate somebody else. And they're always narrating the action of one of these three men in their place of duty or about to leave for their place of duty. And it, it they, they start, and they start over and over inside of the fugue scenes as we travel back in time with the 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 description, the pronoun, the whatever going to be used here, uh, a boy or a man, or a young man, and those seems to be kind of interchangeably woven. Sometimes they'll call a boy, a man, or a young man. And it, it, I've, I'd love to land on like a nice sense of why and when she uses them, because I think it's fascinating, and I'm sure it's intentional, but it kind of swam over my head. I agree. Uh, I, 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 as, as I'm kind of glancing over them, they are used just kind of uh, often and 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 around, uh, I do see both times he leaves. Elliot leaves. Um, he, it is uh, for his first term and for his second term. He is introduced as a man enters. So, like in my mind, it would be it would be you know he would be the young man at the beginning, but as a man at the end. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, yeah, no, I, I I wonder too though. Surely the way that those are used. Um, has some weight has but but uh, perhaps the, that's my overly like wanting to find a through line plot sort of thing like a progression in the usage of the term perhaps it is more evocative of the the um coexistent nature of each of those pronouns and, and um in each of these guys you're right to correct me that the those a man enters, a boy enters, young man, or whatever. They're only used in the first and last fugue scenes, these kind of bookend pieces. And it is interesting that Elliot introduces himself in both of yeah. those scenes, right? So he is calling himself a man if you're thinking, if you're experiencing that the character is narrating himself rather than the actor is narrating the character. I suppose there's some distinction there. But Elliot introduces himself as a man but then Grandpop introduces his, uh, his, his, himself as a boy, and Pop introduces himself as a boy in those subsequent yeah. scenes. So I don't know. Is, is there something where the, they're, right, Pop and Grandpop are headed out for the, that first time? And Elliot is going back, right? We've talked about that sort of clash. Is that why there's a difference in that descriptor? I'm, I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. 
It is interesting though that 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 both of them term themselves a boy. Um, I wonder I wonder if that is perhaps to do with their perspective as el- older men, um, uh, and and real realizing that they were in fact boys at the time. Um, Elliot is like nineteen, I think eighteen when he first <laughs> or, goes, and then he, he comes the first back term, for, yeah. because of his injury, and he's nineteen. Yeah, yeah. So so I mean. Sorry, he's still a boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, legally um, an adult. <laughs> legally an adult, but um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it is. That is interesting. Uh, I wonder if it speaks of some of the hubris of youth and uh, the perspective of age. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great place to end this conversation if I've ever heard it. Of course, there's so much more to talk about. We say that every time, and we I think I always say it's especially true of this play. But in this play, man, there's so much to talk about. There's so it's much true. art and poetry. We really didn't discuss any of the repeating refrains, yeah. the way that she's latched nouns together to end the play, the way that actual music interwines in the play rather than just like musical language and structure. I mean, there's so so much here which means there's so much more to talk about and we would like to kick the conversation out to all of you out there in podcast land if you want to have someone to talk about elliot a soldier's fugue with the no script community is a great place to do that we're great people to do that with other people who are on the facebook page or the instagram or the twitter or all those places have seen the play and want to talk about it so find us on facebook instagram or twitter at the username at no script podcast we also have a gmail no script podcast at gmail.com you can find us on any of those sites we love to keep talking about this play with you absolutely we would i hope that you will connect with us and help other people connect with us if you want to send somebody our way we're on podbean that's where we're hosted but we also can be found on spotify apple podcasts google play you can like us on facebook and then every monday when we post a new episode it'll just appear on our page and you can click and play it if you're not tech savvy and that's the easiest way to listen that's a great way to listen to us as well Hey, we're coming back next week with another play, and we're excited to get to talk to you about it then. But until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script the Podcast.